Hi, this is John Van Lunen, and you are listening to Treasures of the Outer Banks. In this podcast, we talk to people who live on the Outer Banks, and through their stories, we'll explore what makes this place so special. So if you downloaded this podcast to find out where the gold is hidden, my apologies. But if you want to meet the people we treasure on this sandbar, stick around. I'm sure you'll enjoy their stories of history, local personalities, and community. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is John Van Lunen, and you are listening to Treasures of the Outer Banks. Flying solo again, and uh, I want to tell you a little story. I have a couple of boys, a couple of kids, and I also have a dog named Bo. And what I used to do was I would drop off the kids at school in Kildable Hills down at First Flight. And to, you know, just to make life a little easier on myself, I would take my dog, Bo, along with me. And after dropping off the kids, I would just park over by the uh, lacrosse practice field, which backs right up to Run Hill Hill Preserve. And I'd take them for a nice long walk on the sand dunes. And there was never anybody out there on the sand dunes in the mornings. Uh, It was was great. Um, Just running wild. Uh, You know, I've written a little bit about the, the Run Hill, and it's just a cool cool place to just hike around and you can you can walk in so many different directions and, and there's some cool views of the ocean of the Wright memorial and of the mm-hmm. roanoke sound so definitely a cool place to go and i noticed you know over time i would just i kept going in different directions mm-hmm. kept exploring different areas of the park and there's one section to the south and southwest that's wooded off and you know, and that's where I used to just stop hiking and turn around and circle around, come back to the car. But over time, I just said to myself, you know, I need to go in these into these woods and just check it out. And I did notice some footprints, some some you know not well worn paths, but I did notice notice some paths in the sand that went into the woods. So eventually, I just you know with some extra time, I just said, well, screw it, let's go check it out. So me and the dog go into the woods. And when you go into the Nags Head Woods, and that's the the northernmost point of Nags Head Woods, is it's just it's it's weird going from sand dunes right into the woods, and it just gets deathly quiet almost. It, it's it's a little spooky, just how weird it is. But I um, hike in there, and I find some paths and or, and trails. So I start hiking the trails and checking it out. Self, Oh my gosh, I've stumbled across some lost cemetery that nobody knows about. Surely I'm the only person that has ever seen the cemetery before. And and there's really no paths and trails to the cemetery. So you kind of have to bushwhack it. I mean, not, and it's not, you know, wall-to-wall overgrowth, but you have to bushwhack it back there about, I don't know, 50 yards or so, maybe maybe more. And And sure enough, there's a cemetery there, and there's a row of stones um, and, you know, they date back from the 1800s. And my first thought was just, you know, some of these people were around. They were living in Nags Head Woods when the Wright brothers were out on a, a dune not too far away uh, figuring out how to fly. And these people were also around when some of them were around when slavery was still in order. So I go home and I start Googling around. And sure enough, I do find this cemetery on the internet it's called the norris balm cemetery balm is b-a-u-m a A lot of bombs in on the outer banks so not surprising and and one thing i found out was that 
one of the gravestones is marked um, for a David Baum, and he was a former slave. And so th this kind of piqued my interest, you know, because I don't know. One, I just forget that, you know, the Outer Banks was part of the South and they probably had slaves back in the day. Um, you know, they didn't have big plantations and stuff, but, you know, obviously, you know, they were on the coast. I'm sure it was easy to transport some people in. It, it probably became kind of a no-brainer to have some slaves around. And, and sure enough, this guy was a slave. So at some point, I decided to write a little essay and share a picture of his tombstone on the Facebook uh, Outer Banks Vintage Scrapbook. And, and the response was actually kind of a big deal. It was, I mean, people mentioned the slave. They, uh, they, they had heard stories about him. Uh, one, one lady said that she, the story she heard was that he was responsible for digging a ditch through Collington. And now I have looked at um, aerial shots, aerial maps of Collington, the Collington area. And there's one big canal. And I'm thinking to myself, well, there's no way he dug that canal by himself. Uh, but there are some other, there's a few other skinny canals. And, and the way this lady described it was that uh, he was he was kind of proud that he dug this canal. And he, he always said that it was two spades wide and one spade deep, which isn't very big. I mean, big enough for a little canoe or kayak or something like that. Um, so, so if you look at the Collington from the aerial shots, you can kind of see some real skinny ditches and, and you know what, maybe he did, 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 maybe he did dig, uh, one of those little skinny ditches. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty long and, and I'm sure it was a lot of work, but, uh, you know, this guy was, he was, a, he was a former slave and he was still a, a house laborer for somebody. And so he was probably used to, uh, doing projects like this. So I posted that, you know, in Facebook and the response was obviously really huge. And besides uh, digging the ditch, somebody else mentioned that uh, one of the girls, I don't know if it was part of the family he was responsible for or what, but they would grow vegetables in her little home plot or something like that, which, which is what some people did in uh, Nags Head Woods. They would clear out an area and have a little plot you know, mostly for themselves, but this family, I guess, um, raised enough that he would load up a little wagon, a horse-drawn wagon, and they would, you know, um, they would uh, cruise down to the south side, to the sound side, down by Jockey's Ridge, where uh, the, some of the steamers and ferries would come in, and there was a, the Nags Head, I believe the Nags Head Hotel was down there, and uh, they would go down there and sell fresh vegetables. Mm -hmm. So, so that was the thing. So this guy did exist and he was part of the community and he was around for a long time. He died at about 78. Uh, the exact, his exact birth date is not known. Um, but on his tombstone, it does say March 1845. Uh, there's no date. Um, and somebody on, uh, the, uh, vintage scrapbook they found, or I can't remember, maybe it was uh, somebody else, but they found his death certificate and his mother is listed as his mom, obviously. And her name was Peggy Baum and she was listed as a slave. So she, you know, he was, he was born, born in slavery. Uh, the, the death certificate does not know who his father was. 
It says that he was single. And one thing I just noticed on his death certificate is it lists his day of death as February 2, 1923. Well, when you look at his tombstone, and I have a photograph of it, it says February 3, 1923. Kind of a, you know... A, Probably just a minor slight, but it is a, you know, it's a mistake. Um, very, very odd in that sense. Um, I do have a friend. Uh, his name is Philip Troutman. Uh, Philip is a history professor at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. And coincidentally, he, he does a lot of research on slavery, including the cemeteries and where they lived and where they were buried and all that stuff. And, and something, you know, I didn't know was that a lot of slaves were not buried in marked graves, or if it was marked, it was just a very simple marking. You know, maybe it was just a wooden cross or just a simple stone with no engraving or anything. So that makes David Baum's tombstone a little more interesting in that, okay, so he was born in slavery. You know, he lived through emancipation. He was, he was a freed slave. Um, you know, and some people, uh, my, my friend Philip warned me that some people would kind of paint him as, oh, he was a happy slave. He was, or, you know, even though he was free of slavery, he was happy to stick around and work for people. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that, uh, he, you know, he didn't have a lot of uh, upward mobility, so to speak, or mobility, period. I mean, he was on a skinny beach that for a while didn't have, well, while he was alive, I don't think had any bridges. He died in um, 1923. I think it was around 1930 when they finally built a bridge um, from Kurtak County to Kitty Hawk. So, you know, it wasn't like he could just up and leave. It wasn't like he had some incredible skill set. It wasn't like he had a bunch of money. Um, so it was difficult for him to leave. And as an aside, you know, I've thought about, you know, now that uh, Juneteenth is kind of a, a big thing, you know, when did when did the slaves find out that they were free? And I asked a person that... Uh, works at a museum over in Manio, and not that she's an expert, but she brought up something interesting that makes sense. And that is, because we were on the coast, the news probably traveled fairly quickly, you know, with the maritime industry and everything, and our relative location, proximity to the nation's capital. It So, so slaves in North Carolina, on the coast of North Carolina, probably found out about emancipation fairly quickly. Now, how quickly the action occurred is, is another thing. But anyway, David Baum happened to live through part of the country's history. Another interesting thing, and this is from a book that my friend Philip Troutman gave me. It's called The Waterman's Song, and it's about how slave life was different uh, on the water or near the coast as opposed to on a plantation, as opposed to on a plantation uh, further inland. But the, the basic premise of the, the Waterman Songbook is that, you know, if you were a slave and worked for a, a master near the coast or on the water, you probably had a great deal of independence. Um, you had, you know, uh, th there was, you know, bad things happened when people got in the boat. So if you were a master, you didn't want to jump in the boat. You made a slave jump in the boat and go fishing or or transport goods across waters or something like that. So, um, you know, it makes me wonder if maybe this David Baum had some of that freedom. He's uh, on his death certificate. It lists him as a house laborer. So, you know, 
uh, I'm not sure what he did during slavery, but, um, you know, towards the later days of his life, it sounds like he was, you know, just working for the family around the house and, and they probably took care of him. So, you know, and here's something else that's very interesting to me is that there was actually a law that, uh, Cemeteries were not supposed to be segregated. Um, so sorry, cemeteries were not supposed to be integrated. They were meant to be segregated, and there was a law to keep uh, the blacks and whites segregated. And so much so that said that you cannot bury a black man with a white family, or vice versa. Um, and so the interesting thing when you go to Norris Baum Cemetery is that David Baum is off to the side a bit. Now, you know, the first inclination is, well, you know, maybe maybe there are some grave sites between him and the main family that just disappeared over time or something like that. But usually they would leave a sunken space in the ground. Um, you know, when, when a coffin decays and collapses, you know, it would leave a, a sunken impression or depression in the ground. And there's nothing like that. So what I think they did was to circumvent the laws is they buried him, oh, I don't know, a good 10 or 15 feet away from the main family just to, you know, I guess prove to somebody that, oh, he wasn't buried with the family, but he was buried, he's only buried near the family. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's such a weird part of the story, though, because they obviously loved this guy. You know, he was single, he didn't have a family, no kids, no wife that the records show of, and yet they took care of him, you know, at, at, you know, the age of 78, they took care of him and gave him a headstone, which was a lot for a former slave and a black man in the South at that point in time. So it, it makes me wonder if they, there was just kind of a, a special relationship with somebody. And one of the people, um, I guess, I don't know if they call him the administ administer or whatever, uh, you know, the guy who maybe filled out the death certificate or what have you, but his name is Jesse Etheridge Baum, and he was uh, younger than David Baum, um, and he was considered the father, and he was born in 1859, died in 1927, so only four years after David Baum passed away um, did Jesse Baum pass away, and yet uh, Jesse was a bit younger not a ton younger, but, you know, almost makes you wonder if maybe David Baum was was taking care of Jesse Sr. when he was, you know, a young boy, or, you know, maybe they were kind of friends, of, you know, uh, of sorts. You know, hard to say, but Jesse Baum Sr. took care of David Baum. Um, I'm assuming that he took care of him, you know, got him, got him the gravesite, gave him a proper burial, gave him a headstone and all that stuff. Another interesting thing from the death certificate is that the, uh, um, it says he wasn't, it doesn't say he was embalmed, but they, they say the caretakers were neighbors. And if you read some of the books out there, for example, I have a book right here. It's called Everyone Helped His Neighbor, N Memories of Nags Head Woods by Ann Jones and Amy Glass. Um, it's a, um, an oral history of Nagshead Woods. And Nagshead Woods used to be a thriving little community of outer bankers who lived off the land. And, and yeah, you know, the caretakers were the neighbors. You know, David Baum died. You know, they wrapped him up. They dug a, a hole in the ground and they took care of him. So 
Uh, I don't know if you got a proper um, embalming or anything like that. I don't know how important that is. I don't know if you had a casket or what. But anyway, you know, he was taken care of. Uh, cause of death, old age, 78, yeah, you know, and, and, you know, there weren't a lot of doctors. It was just basically, you know, rural farm people taking care of each other. So uh, I, f I found that pretty interesting as well. One more thing that, you know, it, it's, I, I should note is that his last name is Baum. He worked for some bombs. His, his mom, I think, may have been a slave for a bomb. So, you know, as, as was typical in that day and age, you know, a lot of the slaves took on the last name of their masters. Um, there's so many bombs on the Outer Banks, it's, it's difficult. And, you know, some of them married others, uh, like there's uh, some Tillots um, mixed into this. Um, and there's still a lot of Tillots and bombs that live on the Outer Banks. But um, there's so many of them, it's hard, you know, to track where David Baum and his mom mom may have, you know, gone from family to family or something. It's, it it kind of looks like they were passed around a little bit from family to family, um, you know. So hard to hard to pinpoint exactly what was going on. And, and the records so far that I've seen have not shown it. But this has been, I, I don't know why I'm infatuated by this story, but it just it just creates a person from a tombstone um, that, you know, in, in their life, you know, they were considered a secondhand citizen, second class citizen and, you know, could have been easily forgotten. But, but somebody had decided to remember this guy and, and put his name on a tombstone, which just kind of blows me away. Um, it, if, if anybody knows anything else about David Baum and, and what he was like or, or, you know, what families he was working for and what his living conditions were like, I'd be, I'd be, I would love to hear about it. Um, I am going to uh, kind of put my notes and photographs together formally and put them in a blog post so that you can kind of read and see the links and see the photographs that I have. Um, it's, it's interesting to note, I'll, you know, one last thing before I go is um, on the photograph of his tombstone, there's a a, a, a seashell is rested up on top of it. A conch shell is resting on, up on top of it. And I did see these conch shells on all of the tombstones in the Norse Bomb Cemetery. And from some of just stumbling across some research on, um, on the internet is that uh, the locals would put these shells on top of a tombstone so that the people in the ground could have something to listen to uh, as they just, you know, rested in eternity. And if they fall off, somebody comes along and puts it back up on top of the tombstone. So kind of a, I guess that's a local tradition. I was unaware of it. You don't see this in all the cemeteries on the Outer Banks, but I have seen it in the Norse Baum Cemetery. So a little tradition going in there, which also makes me wonder, or led, led me to believe that somebody else knows about the cemetery and they go back there from time to time and put the shells back up on top of the tombstone. So a little history for you there. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode. Hope you learned something. If you have anything to share, I'd love to hear about it. If you haven't been to the website, Treasures of the Outer Banks, please stop by, you know, leave a message or just share it. Um, you know, help, help me grow the site. I'd like to keep it up and running. I'd like to share it with more people. We have about 2,300 people on the email list. I'd like to continue that to grow. Um, I'm constantly adding more 
more stories, more blogs, you know, more everything. Every week I'm just adding new stuff. So um, please, you know, please share it. Please like it. Please review it. Please do whatever you want. Um, and I'd love to get your feedback. So reach out to me, John at treasuresoftheouterbanks.com. Love to hear from you. Hope you're having a good one. Come on down to the Outer Banks. Uh, stop by and say hi or just drop me a line, whatever you'd like to do. Until then, we'll see you next time.